Excellent. If you can make your way back to your seats, we're going to get started. And please open up your Bibles to the book of Judges. Judges chapter 17. Open up your Bibles or your phones. Let's read along in God's Word together as we read Judges chapter 17 and 18 together. Our series, Seeing Christ in All of Scripture, I'm loving. And I'm loving the book of Judges together with you. And the title of the message this morning is, The Consequences of Everyone Doing What is Right in Their Own Eyes. So Judges chapter 17 is our passage of Scripture. Please read along in God's Word as we prepare our hearts to receive it. Judges chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. Let's read. There was a man of the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, The 1,100 pieces of silver that were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse and also spoke it in my ears, behold, the silver is with me. I took it. And his mother said, Blessed be my son by the Lord. And he restored the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother. And his mother said, I dedicate the silver to the Lord from my hand for my son to make a carved image and a metal image. Now, therefore, I will restore it to you. So when he restored the money to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave it to the silversmith who made it into a carved image and a metal image. And it was in the house of Micah. And the man Micah had a shrine and he made an ephod and and household gods and ordained one of his sons who became his priest. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now, there was a young man of Bethlehem in Judah, of the family of Judah, who was a Levite, and he sojourned there. And the man departed from the town of Bethlehem in Judah to sojourn where he could find a place. And as he journeyed, he came to the hill country of Ephraim, to the house of Micah. And Micah said to him, where do you come from? And he said to him, I am a Levite of Bethlehem in Judah, and I'm going to sojourn where I may find a place. And Micah said to him, Stay with me and be to me a father and a priest and I will give you ten pieces of silver a year and a suit of clothes and your living. And the Levite went in. And the Levite was content to dwell with the man and the young man became to him like one of his sons. And Micah ordained the Levite and the young man became his priest and was in the house of Micah. Then Micah said, Now I know that the Lord, the Lord will prosper me because I have a Levite as priest. In those days, there was no king in Israel. And in those days, the tribe of the people of Dan was seeking for itself an inheritance to dwell in. For until then, no inheritance among the tribes of Israel had fallen to them. So the people of Dan sent five able men from the whole number of their tribe, from Zorah and from Eshtael, to spy out the land and to explore it. And they said to them, Go and explore the land. And they came to the hill country of Ephraim, to the house of Micah, and lodged there. When they were by the house of Micah, they recognized the voice of the young Levite. And they turned aside and said to him, Who brought you here? What are you doing in this place? What is your business here? And he said to them, 
This is how Micah dealt with me. He has hired me and I have become his priest. And they said to him, inquire of God, please, that we may know whether the journey on which we are setting out will succeed. And the priest said to them, go in peace. The journey on which you go is under the eye of the Lord. Then the five men departed and came to Laish and saw the people who were there, how they lived in security after the manner of the Sidonians, quiet and unsuspecting, lacking nothing that is in the earth and possessing wealth and how they were far from the Sidonians and had no dealings with anyone. And when they came to their brothers at Zorah and Eshtaol, their brothers said to them, what do you report? They said, Arise, and let us go up against them, for we have seen the land, and behold, it is very good. And will you do nothing? Do not be slow to go, to enter in and possess the land. As soon as you go, you will come to an unsuspecting people. The land is spacious, for God has given it to your hands, a place where there is no lack of anything that is in the earth. So 600 men of the tribe of Dan, armed with weapons of war, set out from Zorah and Eshtaol, and went up and encamped at Kiriath-Jerim in Judah. On this account, that place is called Mahanadan to this day. Behold, it is west of Kiriath-Jerim. And they passed on from there to the hill country of Ephraim and came to the house of Micah. Then the five men who had gone to scout out the country of Laish said to their brothers, Do you know that in these houses there is an ephod, household gods, a carved image, and a metal image? Now, therefore, consider what you will do. And they turned aside there and came to the house of the young Levite at the home of Micah and asked him about his welfare. Now the 600 men of the Danites, armed with their weapons of war, stood by the entrance of the gate. And the five men who had gone to scout out the land went up and entered and took the carved image, the ephod, the household gods, and the metal image. While the priests stood by the entrance of the gate with the 600 men armed with weapons of war. And when these went into Micah's house and took the carved image, the ephod, and the household gods, and the metal image, the priest said to them, what are you doing? And they said to him, keep quiet, put your hand on your mouth, and come with us, and be to us a father and a priest. Is it better for you to be a priest to the house of one man, or to be priest to a tribe and clan in Israel? And the priest's heart was glad. He took the ephod, and the household gods, and the carved image, and went along with the people. So they turned and departed, putting the little ones and the livestock and the goods in front of them. When they had gone a distance from the home of Micah, the men who were in houses near Micah's house were called out, and they overtook the people of Dan. And they shouted to the people of Dan, who turned around and said to Micah, What's the matter with you that you come with such a company? And he said, You take my gods that I made and the priest and go away, and what have I left? How then do you ask me, what is the matter with you? And the people of Dan said to him, Do not let your voice be heard among us, lest angry fellows fall upon you, and you lose your life with the lives of your household. Then the people of Dan went their way, and when Micah saw that they were too strong for him, he turned and went back to his home. But the people of Dan took what Micah had made, and the priest who belonged to him, and they came to Laish, to a people quiet and unsuspecting and struck them with the edge of the sword and burned the city with fire. And there was no deliverer, because it was far from Sidon, and they had no dealings with anyone. It was in the valley that belongs to Beth Rehob. Then they rebuilt the city and lived in it, and they named the city Dan, 
after the name of Dan, their ancestor, who was born to Israel, but the name of the city was Laish at the first. And the people of Dan set up the carved image for themselves, and Jonathan, the son of Gershom, son of Moses, and his sons were priests to the tribe of the Danites until the day of the captivity of the land. So they set up Micah's carved image that he made as long as the house of God was at Shiloh. Again, the title of the message is The Consequences of Everyone Doing What is Right in Their Own Eyes. Let's pray together. Oh, Almighty God, I pray that you would empower us, Holy Spirit, to come and just touch us with your word this morning. And Lord, apply your word to our hearts. Lord, even though these words were written, Lord God, many, many years ago, They are just as relevant to us here in 2019 as it was to your people who heard them first. God, apply your word to our hearts. Cause our hearts to burn with a fire, Lord, because this passage shows us how desperately we need a Savior. And thank you so much, God, that we have one in your Son. Increase our love for Him, our faith in Him, and our passion for Him. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So good to see you, church. Looking forward to this passage. There's much instruction for us here. Um, this to set up the context of this, as you know, we've been going through the book of Judges. Chapters 1 through 16 kind of begin in chapter 1, right in about 1375 B.C., when Joshua, um, he dies, and then the Israelites head into the time of the Judges. Um, in fact, it's possible what, what happens from 1375 all the way to 1075 is there's a progression all the way from Othniel, the first judge, all the way to Samson, who we just read about a couple weeks ago in Judges chapter 16, who uh, was judged in around 1075. So you're talking about like a 300-year span here in verses 1 through 16. 17 takes us all the way back. So there's, a, there's sort of a rewinding of the clock. Um, the writer of the book of Judges, one of the things that he did under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit was he chronicled all the judges. And then in 17 through 21, he picked out basically two stories of just how bad and how far Israel fell when everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. And so this week in 17 and 18, we're going to look at these two stories here. But then in 21 through In 19 through 21, uh, we're going to look at another tragic story which just displays how far we can fall, even as the people of God, when we stop following Christ as Lord and start doing what is right in our own eyes. Because what happened here can happen to us if we're not vigilant in battling the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so we've got some real instruction here in Judges chapter 17 as we read about this story in Micah. It's set in about 1375, so it's about the time of Othniel, the first judge. In fact, Micah, it's possible, heard live Joshua in Joshua 24 say right before he died, choose you this day which God you will serve. But as for me and my house, We will serve the Lord. And then all the people of Israel responded. No, we will serve the Lord like you, Joshua. And so they're all declaring that they're going to serve the Lord. But 
what's crazy is there's not even really that much of a time gap. So it's not like we're progressing all the way down to Samson 300 years later and getting to Micah. This is sort of like in the same kind of time period as Joshua's zeal burning hot for the Lord and the glorious proclamations in Joshua 24 of the pledges to serve the Lord, not only from Joshua and his household, but also the household of the people of Israel. It's interesting that this uh, chapter here, um, in chapter 17, what the Lord desires to do in 17 is he zeroes in on one household, one Israelite household in the tribe of Ephraim. And if you could put the uh, map up related to the 12 tribes of Israel, Scott, that would be great. Um, the tribe of Ephraim exists right down in around here. And Dan, which is mentioned in this story, settled pretty much in here. So the story that we're reading about takes place. Micah's house probably was like right in around here. The Danites, which went to scout out the land, what they did is they sent the, the spies that they sent, they sent them all the way up here where it's listed. Dan. That was the town of Laish that they conquered and then renamed Dan. So there's a distance of about 100 miles between these two places. You see the Sea of Galilee here where Jesus ministered later on. Um, this, this tribe here of Ephraim is very close to Jerusalem. One other point of note uh, here is you'll also see the town of Shiloh mentioned right in, right across the Jordan River. It's only about 20 miles away from Jerusalem. So it's where the tent of meeting, it's where the Ark of the Covenant currently is. Israel gathered together at Shiloh like they did later in Jerusalem, if that helps you a little bit to understand where they gathered together to have their feasts and to have the Day of Atonement. They worshipped the Lord and served Him. The Aaronic priesthood was serving at Shiloh. And you learn about that a little bit later when we get to the book of 1 Samuel, which we're doing in our devotions right now. But Eli serves as one of the priests at Shiloh and his sons as well. But these Danites travel across Ephraim, and that's where they come into contact in 17 and 18 in the book of Judges with this man Micah and his household. And you see just this description here of, I'm going to mention three points this morning. Number one, personal drift. Personal drift. Secondly, corporate drift. And then thirdly, faithful God. Personal drift, corporate drift, and faithful God. Chapter 17 is primarily about one household. 18 talks about one tribe, the Danites. And so you see where the Lord zeroes in on one household and then connects it into the corruption and the drift that takes place amongst a whole tribe. And um, what, what's kind of crazy about this, and I might not get to it at the end because there's so much here that's so good, but one of the things, if you could put that map back up, Scott, um, is that th- this was just fascinating in my study. When the Danites took over Dan and they took the gold, the, the image, the silver image, the false god and the ephod and the household gods that they stole from Micah up into Dan and they settled there, 
what happened was, is they set all that up up there so that they did not need to travel the 60 miles back down to Shiloh to worship with the rest of the people of God. You're going to see a lot of times, both in 17 and 18, where the Israelites basically, they choose convenience in their worship of God over a journey. And it's not just the Danites. Imagine, you know, 60 miles needing to travel to the house of God in Shiloh. Back then, it wasn't like getting in the car and driving for an hour to get to church. That was a major ordeal. But it didn't just happen from Dan down to Shiloh. It actually happened where Micah lived to Shiloh, which was only about 10 miles. Micah didn't want to go to Shiloh to worship the Lord corporately with the people of God. So it's a theme that kind of shows up in 17 and 18. The uh, the city of Dan shows up later on. Some of you might remember this in the Old Testament as well, in the book of 2 Chronicles 26, where, remember that when, the, or in 1 Kings chapter 12, where the kingdom is divided, you've got Solomon, and then basically um, from Solomon, where you've got all of Israel united, you've got Rehoboam, Solomon's son, who ends up ruling over the southern tribes of Israel. He, he kind of rules over this bottom section. And the, the kingdom is ripped apart because of Rehoboam and ultimately the, the, the Lord's will. And the northern tribes all exist up here. What Jeroboam does, if you remember what he does, is he does the same thing that the uh, Israelites do here, the Danites. He, they take a false god, it's so a Jeroboam, later does what they do here in chapter 18, and he takes a false god up to the same city, Dan. They've already got false priests up there ministering, as they have been all the way up until the time of the exile. And what they do is they continue their false worship by taking, Jeroboam basically says, these are the gods who brought you out of Egypt. And he does almost, he pulls another golden calf, like earlier in Exodus, and he sets up, a false place of worship up in Dan because he didn't want to lose power because he didn't want the Israelites to all travel back down to Jerusalem and worship the Lord at Jerusalem like God prescribed. Because he knew, Jeroboam did, that if the people of Israel all gathered together corporately, he felt like he would lose power up here in the north. And so what he did is he actually said, listen, disobey that command. We're going to worship the Lord. And he set up false Jerusalems at Dan and also down here at Bethel. Bethel was only 10 miles away from Jerusalem. And it was sort of like, those who want to follow me don't worship at Jerusalem anymore. Worship the Lord with these idols in Dan and also in Bethel. But the reason I bring that story up is because this is the beginning of where the idolatry at the city of Dan begins. Sometimes you think, how does the book of Judges like connect with the rest of the Old Testament and with, with the rest of the Bible? Brothers and sisters, there's never a detail thrown away. What's awesome is the city of Dan that is, is first conquered here by the Danites and established ends up factoring into the history of Israel later on as well as we lead up to the birth of Christ. And what's awesome, and I was just thinking about this, all this idolatry taking place up here in the north of Israel throughout the Old Testament And it wasn't going to be too long from then when our precious Jesus was walking around the Sea of Galilee and walking all around Samaria and 
going to the woman of the well and offering her living water and saving her soul and just just the hope of Christ in the midst of all the idolatry and the darkness. Jesus didn't stay down just in Jerusalem and Bethlehem where he was born. He went up into the darkness and as Jill prophesied this morning, shattered the darkness. And I love our Lord and how he did that. So a little bit of a history lesson and a little bit of background. I hope it sets you up for just enjoying the rest of this section here because there's some tremendous applications here from Judges 17 and 18. But let's look firstly at the point of personal drift. Personal drift. There are so many spots where we can be embattled as believers. And one of the things throughout Judges 1 through 16, largely the oppression and the attack came from outside. It didn't come from within. The oppression came from the Gentile nations around them who due to their rebellion came and attacked them. And so pretty much through Judges 1 through 16, you've got, yes, a lot of idolatry in Israel, but the source of their oppression comes from the nations. In the New Testament, one of the connections for us can be that we see that we are attacked from without by Satan, and we're also attacked from without by the world. The world can be defined as fallen humanity in sinful opposition to God. The world is fallen humanity in sinful opposition to God. We are all tempted. Every one of us, even us who are strong Christians in the room, we are tempted by the evil one. Though greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Never forget that but we're attacked from without from the evil one. We're also attacked from without from the world. We are called to resist the influences of the world or fallen humanity and sinful opposition to God. We're called to resist the devil and he will flee from us. And we're called to not love the world because as the Bible says, to those who love the world, it is enmity with God. And so we want to be very careful to pay careful attention to our hearts from the temptation and battles that come from outside of us in. That's 1 through 16. 17 through 21, the Holy Spirit takes a different turn in the writing of 17 through 21 in the book of Judges and focuses on the battles that arise from within. And that, when we talk about the world, the flesh, and the devil, the world and the devil are outside of us The flesh or indwelling sin is the battle within, the enemy within. And even those of us who have repented of our sins and trusted in Jesus Christ, who have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, we have indwelling remaining sin within that we must take stock of and be careful and be on guard against because that's what really Judges 17 and 18 starts to focus in on is there are spiritual battles within that we must pay careful attention to. Maybe one verse that will help you that corresponds with this principle in the New Testament that I think really is really important for all of us to take to heart. So listen carefully to this. In 1 Timothy 4, the Apostle Paul says to Timothy, watch your life and your doctrine closely. Watch your life 
and your doctrine closely, Timothy. There's a lot at stake. We're all tempted to drift. There's temptation from without that comes from the, from the enemy. There's temptation that comes from the world. And we must look to put on the full armor of God to battle against that. But we also must take careful stock of the enemy within, indwelling sin, which I love how Galatians 5 says that the flesh and the spirit wage war against one another. And as John Owen said in his hopeful quote, the flesh tirelessly resists the supremacy of the spirit. So the spirit is supreme. The power of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us in this battle internally is supreme. Let us not live as Christians thinking we're beat down. There's no way we can fight this. There's no way I can overcome the the battles and the, the patterns of sin in my life that remain. There's no way I can overcome this. I've struggled with this for years. I've struggled with this all the way back to my childhood. And there's no way I can overcome. No, nonsense. The power of the Holy Spirit is so much greater than the power of the flesh. However, we must also remember that while we are in this body, this side of heaven, we will be opposed by our flesh inside of our souls. And even though the flesh will not win and does not win, Christ has overcome Even though that is the case, we are admonished in Scripture time and time again against personal drift. And that is what I want us to focus in on 17. Because it wasn't long after, choose you this day which God you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. How about you? Unanimously, yes, we will serve the Lord to where, hey, you know what? I'm going to steal 1,100 pieces of silver from my mom. That's Micah. That's the guy in this story. You see, there's just this connection with the breaking of the Ten Commandments all over Judges chapter 17 in the life of one man. And I think it's so brilliant of God, brilliant of the Holy Spirit to just hone us in here on one man's life so that we're not overwhelmed. You see here, he steals silver from his own mom, and in doing so, he breaks the fifth commandment. Honor your father and mother. And he also breaks the eighth, thou shalt not steal. And, but, you know, the the mother's response, at first you see, and he responds and he restores the 1100 pieces. You're like, oh, that's good. And, and then you you progress down in the verse four, he restores the money to his mother. And then you see in 4b, look at that. His mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave it to the silversmith who made it into a carved image and a metal image, which which breaks the first and the second commandment. And there's just this intermingled language of you see the mom in verse 2 saying, blessed be my son by the Lord. She's got the language. She's got the Christianese, if you will. It's just this, like, Blessed be the Lord, I'm going to make an idol. And I thought, oh God, how we've got to just be so on guard to know your word. It's possible that this mother may have just ignored the word of God and ignored the commandments of God. 
and realize that it says don't make a graven image, but all the culture around us is making these graven images. And so I'm just going to do this. And Micah wants her to make it. She makes it. And you begin to see this drift take place that is so, so very, very tragic. Um, everyone was, was doing what was right in their own eyes. You see that dropped in after. Look at verse 5. So not only do they make this false god, but then Micah steps up and he adds to it even worse in verse 5. The man Micah had a shrine, so he makes a shrine. He made an ephod, which is the cloth for a priest. And household gods, so it becomes plural. And ordained. Micah, an Ephraimite, who was not authorized to ordain priests at all. Takes it into his head to ordain one of his own sons who was not authorized to be a priest in Israel. So you see this ignoring of the commandments of God. Actually, if you look back in the commandments throughout Numbers, you see that there are prescribed ordinances on how priests were to be ordained and that the priests were to come down from the line of Aaron. And here, Micah's like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to ordain my son as a priest, and there's just this disregard yet again of the word of God. You're going to see that theme begin to take shape more and more. But here in verse 6, the Holy Spirit just drops in and just says, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And brothers and sisters, I can't think of a better phrase to describe our culture here in 2019. We are natural born sinners. We are natural in doing what is right in our own eyes. We don't need instruction to do that. We just gravitate toward that. And the people of Israel very quickly drifted personally into breaking all kinds of commands in Scripture. And it's almost like the Holy Spirit wants to highlight, listen, this is just one household in Israel. And you're seeing the drift take place. But then there's this young man of Bethlehem in Judah, a Levite, who's looking for this place to set up shop and serve as a priest. And and Micah sees this guy and brings him into his household and says, hey, be to me a father and a priest. So yet again, Micah ordains this wandering Levite who should have been serving the Lord at the house of Shiloh, but's wandering around looking for money, looking for a living. And sure enough, he finds it in Micah. And Micah says, listen, stay with me. And you see the Levite, it says in verse 11, the Levite was content to dwell with the man. So yeah, that was what was right in his own eyes. I'm getting money here. I'm getting a living. I'm going to live with this guy and I'm going to be his personal priest. I'm going to let him ordain me. And you, you begin to see, you got to understand for the Israelites, when they were reading this, for us, it's sort of like, oh, there's ordination happening here. And, you know, we don't see the cultural divide. The Israelites, when they read Judges 17 and 18, are just shocked when they look and compare to the law of God and what God prescribes in his word. The disobedience to the scriptures laid out here in just these two chapters is so radical that it's amazing that God bore with it. And brothers and sisters, the same is true in our lives as well. We must take to heart where we are tempted to ignore the word of God or to set the word of God aside in our own lives and not look with a self-righteous eye on individuals like Micah and this Levite personal priest. 
and you see Micah, it's, it's sort of like verse 13, and Micah said, Now I know that the Lord will prosper me, because I have a Levite as a priest. It's like, you have a good luck charm. Now that's great. That the superstition and the level that, that he reaches very quickly is just amazing. And now Micah is operating thinking that God is prospering him. And brothers and sisters, he couldn't have been walking in more disobedience than he was. And I think that's the nature of indwelling sin. We are deceived into thinking that this pathway that I want to pursue really feels good and feels right to me. And so we go to pursue that path, and then afterward we got the enemy whispering in our ear and our flesh confirming it. You know, I think the Lord's really going to prosper me in this path. Why? Because it feels right. It feels good. We're led by our feelings and not by the truth of Holy Scripture. And you see the end of 17 coming to the term there, and it's like, oh Lord, look at how far this man has fallen. The Aaronic priesthood at the house of God at Shiloh was to be where Micah's allegiance was. And not with the non-Aaronic Levites who were just servants in the tabernacle. They didn't even have the right to be priests if they weren't from Aaron's tribe. In fact, we learn later in 18, and what's so sad about this priest is the detail unfolds. This is a direct descendant of Moses himself, the lawgiver. And that detail is meant to shock all of us of, whoa, the the son or the grandson or of Moses is like setting up shop with a shrine and some false gods and being a personal priest unauthorized by the Lord. And we're meant to say, oh my goodness, look at what happens when everybody's doing what is right in their own eyes. Look at how far we can fall. Look at how corrupt it can become. Oh, how desperately we need a savior. That's what's meant to happen in our hearts. It's meant to help us to see that when we don't place God first in our hearts, brothers and sisters, and we don't cause the Word of God to be our authority, our life will drift into more and more chaos. And what you're going to see from 17 through to 21 is more and more chaos in individual households and in individual tribes. And then you're going to see a glimpse of all of Israel needing to deal with just a snowballing mess of everybody doing what is right in their own eyes. You see theft. You see graven images. You see people putting other gods, false gods, before the Lord. You see a priest being driven by financial well-being and security and title and selfish ambition in this section You see personal fulfillment being a God. You see convenience being a God. I was thinking about this the other day. I was just kind of laughing. I think you'll get a kick out of this too. You think, well, can we be given to the same types of temptations to want convenience as the Israelites did and not want to have to travel to Shiloh when I live down in Ephraim? 
or worse yet, I live up in Dan. I don't, I don't want to travel all the way down to worship the Lord and celebrate the Day of Atonement like God calls me to in the law. Let's just set up shop in Dan. Let's have some false gods here. Let's just stay local and have a party. And let's just make, and we'll, hey, listen, we'll worship the Lord. We'll worship him here the way we want to, not the way God says in his word. That's what's happening here. And I thought to myself, you could go to Applebee's and you can place a takeout order online and not need to even talk to another human being. You can pull up in front of Applebee's and just because it's too hard to actually go inside the takeout door to get the food, you can just kind of sit out in the parking lot and let them bring the food out to your door and just say thanks and pull back out and head out and go on your way. It's it's this, our culture is like driven to find ways where convenience and the God of convenience can be served. I thought that might be like the end of it, but the other night I pulled into Target and they're doing it at Target now. <laughs> you can order what you want from Target online and instead of just going in and walking and going to the right and kind of picking up your online order and actually walking into the store, They've made it now to where you can pull into a little lane and somebody will walk outside. Oh, brothers and sisters, we can be driven by convenience. It's one thing to be driven by convenience when you're going to Target. And that, that can even be funny and actually can even be a blessing in a powerful rainstorm. Though it's kind of sad to see them walking out to you when the rain's falling on them. But But... It's another thing when you're talking about convenience. If I, I want God to be convenient for me. I want church to be convenient for me. I think it's really important for us to remember that the worship of God that's authorized by God in His Word, it's not always convenient. It's not always what we're going to feel like doing at a given moment. But we do it because we obey Scripture. We don't in other words, brothers and sisters, and I want this for all of us, but it's a conviction for me personally. I don't come to church because I like always just feel like it. And I do feel like it. I love Jesus. I love coming and worshiping with you. It's a joy to get up and come in here to worship with you. But ultimately, I'm not coming to church because I feel like going to church. I'm coming to church because the Word of God says, do not give up meeting together as is the habit of some. There is a command in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 10 that tells us not to give up meeting together, as is the habit of some. Let's all settle it as a conviction that no matter what church God ever has us be a part of in our future, wherever the Lord takes us, if we ever move as Christians, settle it in your soul right now that God I am going to make it a habit for me to not give up meeting together with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Not because it's easy for me or even because I feel like or, or because it's convenient, but God, I'm going to do it out of conviction from your word of truth. Your word says it. Your word is best. I want to obey. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I want to have a heart to keep God's commandments, even when, we're, when they're not convenient for me. 
And there's times where it's not convenient. Brothers and sisters, fellowship and fellowshipping with brothers and sisters, encouraging one another daily as the command is in Hebrews chapter 3, as long as it is called today, so that you will not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. There again, personal drift. What the Bible's saying there is you and I need each other. We need each other to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. We're not meant to just go to church, attend the show, and try to get in and get out, get entertained, get what we need to get fed, get out, and not intermingle, link arms, rub shoulders with, roll up our sleeves and get into the problems of to help our brothers and sisters with. Church, we are not called to a religion of convenience. We are not called to a followership of Jesus that just always has to feel right for me. Listen, it doesn't always feel easy or feel right. We do these things and we pursue fellowship and we encourage one another daily and we care for one another's souls and get care into our souls Not because it is convenient, but because it's a command of Holy Scripture. And when we disregard the commands of God's Word, personal drift always happens. Now, listen, I want to be clear. And you know the way we operate here. Some of you who are newer, though, might not know this. We operate by grace here. If you're out of church or if you're not able to make care group on a given week, none of us are hunting anybody down and saying, hey, where were you? And... We don't have a spirit of legalism here. It's a spirit of grace in our church. I, I love when when brothers and sisters are able to be out of church, even on vacation, and going and celebrating the Lord, and on vacation and getting rest, holy and consecrated leisure from the Lord, and celebrate that just as much as when they're in a church on Sunday. But if it was to become my pattern of church is now becoming optional, and we've got to pay attention to the drift. Some of us, we could... We can think right now that, you know what, I'm committed. But if we're not careful, slowly over time, and you see it here in 17 and 18, what can take place is we can slowly begin to drift to where commitment to church turns into, eh, you know, if I feel like going this weekend, I'll go. And I still go every once in a while. and But it's it's whether I feel like it or not. To... What happened to him? What happened to her? They're no longer walking closely with Jesus in 10 years. Or, in Micah's case, very quickly. We have got to pay careful attention to our lives and our doctrine and recognize. Listen, I I want to really just say this because it's really important for all of us. Church can be messy where you have situations where your brothers and sisters aren't always going to be just like the height of delight to just be around. As brothers and sisters, you're going to sin against one another. We're going to, we're going to cause each other to stumble at times. We're going to struggle. I am not going to enter into this search for this perfect church where there's no problems, no difficulties, and the the pastors are perfect, and the fellowship is perfect, and the small groups are perfect, and the ministries are perfect. No, listen, what we need is an imperfect church being sanctified by the power of the Holy Spirit where we love one another and our weaknesses and our difficulties, and we link arms anyway and say, listen, 
No matter what, let's bind ourselves to the word of God and commit ourselves to God and to one another and let us run hard for Jesus. And when we sin against one another, we forgive one another. We don't just go and bolt and run to go to the next place because in the hope and search that we're going to find utopia here. Are you looking throughout the book of Judges? You see, it's, it's, it's the mess amongst God's people. We want to say, God, yes it is, and I'm a part of it. But help me to do everything I can do to be the biggest blessing I can be in my life. To my family, to my brothers and sisters in Christ around me in my local church. And do everything I can to be iron sharpening iron to bless them where they're weak. To be humble, to listen to them, to help me grow where I am weak. And to love one another when we bother each other or sin against one another. And just say, hey, you know what? We're committed to Jesus and we're committed to one another around here. And that bond, it goes deeper than convenience. It's a bond that flows out from conviction. I'm not going to give up meeting together, as is the habit of some. I might not feel like going to care group tonight, but I'm going. Why? Because I want a fellowship. I need fellowship, but I also want to give fellowship. My brothers and sisters need me and my encouragement and my gifts and my encouragement. And you know what? I need them. It's not always convenient. Oh, but brothers and sisters, it's so important. What you see in 17 and 18 is you see an individualism start to take hold in Israel where Micah is pulling a priest to his household. He's got his little compound there and he's got his gods. He's got everything just kind of tightly sealed up. He's got a religion of convenience. He's got everything. He doesn't even need to go to Shiloh anymore. And you know what? We have that today. And that's why I bless God for all of you, church. Your, your corporate, your passion for corporate worship. You guys are amazing like this. And your love for the Word of God. It's possible, though, through the years, just as things are challenging and we fight through battles with indwelling sin and even go through hard times together, just say, you know what? I just, this doesn't matter to me anymore. You know what? I can stay at home and hear my best online preacher, who's better than my pastor, I might add, and just stay at home and eat Cheetos. And then I can catch the soccer game after that. That's awesome. Yeah, Micah, that's that's awesome. That's awesome. Go ahead and live that way. You're not even aware that you are slowly drifting away. You are disobeying God. And it doesn't even matter to you. Because it feels right to you. And you actually think God's prospering you. But your heart is so far away from worshiping the one true God in the word. Because you will not be inconvenienced. Everything else in your life takes priority over the worship of God, the hearing of the word, and fellowship amongst his people. Everything else gets the yes. Church gets the back door every time. Listen, there's going to be times we're going to miss church, okay? There's going to be times we're going to miss care group and grace all over that. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But brothers and sisters, we've got to pay careful attention to our hearts 
and recognize, and parents for us, what message are we sending to our kids when it's always okay to skip church and never okay to skip the things that we love elsewhere outside of church? What message long-term does that send? But that the worship of God corporately, the preaching of His Word, fellowship and getting in deep and committed into the life of the church, all those things, you know, we're good. We're good. God's prospering us. No, brothers and sisters, we've got to be careful about personal drift. And please hear me. I know there's, I'm sharing this with passion. I'm sharing it with passion into my own heart. Me and Shannon talk about this and we talk about our kids. Just because I'm walking closely with Jesus right now and I'm a senior pastor and I'm here sharing the gospel with you every week, I am just as susceptible to what Micah's drift was as any of us here in this room. And I'm very aware you have people who treat you badly. You go through really hard times where people are sinning against you. And it becomes very easy to say, you know what? Let me get my personal priest, my laptop, and let me just stay at home. I'll keep hearing the word. I'll get fed. I'll feed myself. I got fellowship here with my wife and my kids, me and mine. And let's close the compound like Micah did. And let's never go to Shiloh again. Oh, brothers and sisters. For all of us, listen, and no matter where you ever end up, no matter what city you ever move to or what job you take, settle this conviction in your soul as I want to settle it in mine. God, I will not neglect not just the individual pursuit of you, which is most important, but I'm not going to neglect going to the household of God and worshiping the Lord at Shiloh, where the worship of God prescribed under the Mosaic law and then under the New Testament law, church. I'm not going to give up meeting together, as is the habit of some. Me and my house, by the grace of God, Almighty God empowers to do this. We will serve the Lord. We will be different. And no matter how badly people treat us, no matter how badly we get burned by somebody, no matter how Christian leaders let us down, no matter how our brothers and sisters let us down, it is never a good excuse for us to drift. And we can drift in our own personal passion for the Lord, even unintentionally, if we allow the wrongs that people have done to us tempt us to grow cold in our hearts for the one who shed his blood and died for us on the cross and rose again from the dead and saved us and snatched us out of the pit and out of eternal fire. And to say to him, I'm not going to give you my all, Jesus, because I've been hurt in the past by people. Listen, people are going to fail us. People are going to let us down. People in church are going to let us down. People in church are going to sin against us. But resolve that no matter what ever happens, you are not going to stop going to a gospel preaching church somewhere, even if you get burned many times by people and even Christians. Don't turn hard in your heart toward God and grow distant in your heart from God because people have let you down. And brothers and sisters, 
You see that in 17 and 18. The Danites, they repeat Micah's error. They, the same theft that Micah was given to with his mom, the Danites come and steal all the gods. Micah's upset that his false god was taken. There's coveting and theft and doing their brothers wrong. And Danites go and they conquer the city of Dan up north of the Sea of Galilee and they set up shop up there. And then it says at the end, of Judges chapter 18, and they named that city Dan after the name of Dan, their ancestor, who was born to Israel. But the name of the city was Laish at the first. And the people of Dan set up the carved image for themselves. And Jonathan, the son of Gershom, son of Moses, and his sons were priests to the tribe of Danites until the day of the captivity of the land. The day of the captivity of the land, just to help you understand the timeline, You're looking at about 1375 B.C. right here. The day of the northern tribes going into captivity happened when King Sennacherib in 722 B.C. came down and took the northern tribes into captivity and took them away. And they were never the same again. Even though the the Assyrians and the Israelites in the northern kingdom intermingled and intermarried. And what you had then was the Samaritans who the Jews down in the south hated. Remember them in Jesus' time? 722 B.C., Sennacherib came down and laid waste to Samaria, which was the capital city of the northern tribes. All of it flowed as sin upon sin just continued to pile up. And this sin which began here in Judges chapter 17 and 18, which might have even seemed small at the time, let's not go to Shiloh, let's stay in Dan and just worship this silver image that we've got. You think, oh, okay, that's just one sin. Brothers and sisters, the one sin begins to beget many and begin men, beget many until finally the Lord moves in judgment against the northern tribes and they are severely disciplined and they are laid waste all because they did not repent of their rebellion and the rebellions, which started many, many, many years before in the house of one man who may have even said with his lips in front of Joshua and the rest of the Israelites, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord as well. And then he left church and he went home and he indulged his flesh He disobeyed God in His command. And there is this chain effect that happens down the line through Israel's history. He had no idea that the making of that idol was going to actually set up a city of idolatry. He thought it was going to be his own personal household gods. But instead, they became the false gods of the tribe of Dan. Our sins always seem little to us. But the consequences are so great. Church, let us all be sobered by this story. Let us see the consequences of doing what is right in our own eyes. Let us repent, frankly, of where we are living, just doing what is right in our own eyes. And where where God always takes second place in our life to our conveniences and our pleasures and our desires. Let's repent. And I I just want to let you know, I will be leading the charge in repentance. I will be going up before the foot of the cross on my knees together with you in this. And I always do that when I preach. 
I'm never preaching at you. I'm preaching and I'm, I'm hearing it as I'm saying it. I am a sinner as well. And I want you to know that. I trust you do. There would be no hope with all this. Look at how far they sunk, how fast. They drifted. Micah and the Danites drifted. God never drifts from His people. He is always faithful. And He keeps coming again and again and again to His people. How kind of Him. And I am so moved that one of the effects of the cross, and I'll just leave this with you, one of the effects of what Jesus has done in His death on the cross and resurrection from the dead, and then I'll close, is this. The Israelites separated from one another. The northern tribes eventually were destroyed and disseminated, and and even though they lived geographically in some of the same vicinity, they were never the same again. The rebellion had transformed them, and only the tribe of Judah and those in the south remained true. And even they rebelled. And we're going to read about that in the upcoming months and weeks and years. I'm looking forward to seeing Christ and His faithfulness all the way throughout the pages of this Scripture so that we can all be encouraged that though we struggle with sin every day, our God never leaves us or forsakes us. And though we struggle with indwelling sin and personal drift, we can come before Him and confess our sins before Him. And whoever confesses His sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen, church? Aren't you so thankful that our Jesus is the true Israel who was tempted in every way and yet was without sin. And he was tempted to personally drift and yet he never did. And when he hung up on that cross, he hung up on that cross carrying on his person. All of our drifting. And God the Father punished all of our drifting fully in the person and in the body of his Son. Jesus endured the wrath of God that we would have endured forever in hell. He endured that on the cross for you and for me. I don't know about you, but that makes me happy. That blesses me so much. But it also makes me say, Lord, I want to give my all for you. I I, I want to be done with half-heartedness and just not going all in with Christ, not going all in with His people. May God... Give each one of us grace, church, to glorify Him in such a way that we throw the idols in the fire and we repent and we get up off of our knees and we say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And teens, not just your mom and dad saying it, you say in church. As for me and my house, not just now as I'm a teen, but as I look forward to my future house and as my, my, my future life. And if any, the Lord gives me any children and any grandchildren, as for me and my house, we are settling this right here and right now. We will be committed to Christ. We will be committed to his church. And we are not going to be fair weather Christians. We are going to be in this with Jesus because he was in this with us. We are going to go all in with Jesus because He went all in for us. Let's pray.
Almighty God, I just ask you to help us. Thank you so much for your faithfulness. Thank you so much for the many times, God, that convenience won over serving somebody. Convenience won over obeying your commands. God, I see Micah's sins in my own heart. I see the Danites' sins in my own heart, and I repent. God, make us servants. Make us true servants who aren't thinking about what we can get, but all we do is live and think, what can we give for our Lord Jesus who loved us and gave Himself for us? Thank You so much, Jesus, that though we have lived just like in the time of Judges, everyone doing what, what was right in his own eyes, thank You so much, Jesus, that you always did what was right in your Father's eyes. And you were the perfect sacrifice who shed your blood to atone for all of our sins. Your atonement indeed has won the victory for every one of us who believe in this room. And we just want to thank you. Protect us all. Keep us all, God. Protect us all from personal drift through the years. Let it be said of those in this room and those in the hearing of this message and myself that when we go into old age, that we're more passionate for Jesus then than we were now. Almighty God, let us only grow in our love and grow in our passion no matter how people ever treat us. Help the fire to burn brighter. The zeal for your house to burn stronger. All the way until... We have no strength left, and we die and go to be with you. We want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant from you, Jesus. Empower us, Holy Spirit, to do just that. We love you, and we thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Don't you love him? (laughs) He's awesome. Thank you, Jesus. And thank you, church. Thank you for your attentiveness in this message. Have a wonderful week today and and just enjoy this beautiful day and enjoy this wonderful week. Enjoy the 4th of July. Hope you have a great time with your family and friends. Love you, church. God bless you.